This morning we're going to be talking about uh, public speaking rule number one, not offending your audience. We're going to witness Jesus seemingly intentionally break this rule, um, and we're going to see the response of the crowd is really, really harsh. We'll finish up by looking at this kind of big surprise that God is for and stands with and even blesses those that we might wish otherwise. Let's pray. God and source of all light, by your word, give light to our lives and illumine our path that we might walk in your ways. Amen. So um, this is like almost everyone's rule number one in public speaking is don't offend. Don't offend your audience, right? And so the premise, of course, is that nobody deliberately, intentionally offends their audience if you follow these kind of simple rules of public speaking tips that you're much less likely to offend anyone. Anyone who's ever done any public speaking before knows that there's almost always one person that's going to be offended no matter what you do, right? Like, that's what they tell you. Um, So, like, I'm going to just scan around the room and see if I can figure out who that person is. (laughs) Just kidding. I already know who it is, Frank. (laughs) Just kidding. I just broke, by the way, I just broke one of the rules. (laughs) Here in a second. Um, And, like, so there's countless articles and books out there. They teach people um, who speak in public, like, how to mitigate offending the people that they're speaking to. So they tell you a few things, like, like maintaining proper eye contact, sticking to your time allotment. Um, They suggest humor, but not too much. Um, They warn you, never poke fun of people in your audience, like I just did. (laughs) Sorry, Frank. Um, uh, They beg speakers never to read their slides. Um, And then they say, don't ever finish a presentation with Q&A. And that goes against what some people might think, but you're welcoming criticism. Um, And so we'll actually see that in today's text. I thought that one was really interesting. Um, So, like, personality-wise, I do not enjoy offending people, right? I actually don't like it. Some people like some confrontation and like to mix it up or whatever. I actually don't really care much for that. Um, I try to pay attention to the basic rules of public speaking. From time to time, I break all of these rules, like the one time when I told one too many cannibal jokes. I don't know if you remember that day. I, I absolutely, I went too far, right? And I've never forgotten the fact that that was one too many, right? So that won't happen again. Um, it was funny. It was funny, but you got to know when to stop, right? And I don't, I have little self-control. Um, I didn't stop at the right point, you know? Um, and so you get to today's text. I read this text which will continue where uh, Dale was talking about the text last week that Lauren read. And so as a reminder, that refreshes us as to where we are, and then we hear the conclusion of that story today. And when I looked at this, like, I couldn't help but asking a really sincere question. Did Jesus intentionally offend his audience? The answer is yes. Jesus does this intentionally. So we have to ask a second question, right? If Jesus intentionally stirs the pot a little bit, and irritates the people that are listening to him, the better question might be, why did, why did Jesus do it? What's the point, right? What's, what was he trying to, trying to get at? So we'll keep these questions in mind as we hear the end of, the, of that story that Lauren began. Then he began to say to them, this is where she finished, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And listen to their response. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, 
Here's the Q&A. Is this not Joseph's son? Right? This is where it all starts. He said to them, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we've heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in that time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off a cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The word of the Lord. This is some good stuff. During the season of Epiphany, the season that follows Christmas, one of the things we celebrate is we're celebrating the revealing of God's self. We're looking at the revealing of God's promises and God's mission to the diverse nations and peoples of the world. And so epiphanies are revelations, they're manifestations of God. But just because God reveals God's self does not necessarily guarantee that we're going to like what we see and hear. The people that were listening to Jesus certainly didn't. We don't talk much about this, but it's true, right? We may find epiphanies to be challenging. We might find them to be intrusive. We might find them to be downright offensive, like Jesus' hearers certainly did. Here's the really simple outline that we're going to walk through. Jesus teaches. The crowd responds with approval. Jesus follows up and teaches a little bit more. And they turn on him and try to kill him. All right? Really simple stuff to outline. And so Jesus is led by the Spirit. He's returned to Galilee, his hometown. After being away for a while, he begins to teach in their synagogues. Now, before we get to where we started reading today, Luke actually records that Jesus was, quote, praised by everyone. Everyone. He's receiving really good reviews. All right? So far, so good. He hasn't offended anyone yet. He rolls into his hometown of Nazareth, He goes to the synagogue, as was his custom, he said. He was given the scroll of Isaiah to read, uh, from which we read the front end and worship. And we learned last week from Dale that the passage that Jesus read from is about the coming of the Messiah. And this God-anointed person was going to do some things. This, This person was going to bring good news to the poor, free the captives, give sight to the blind, set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Jubilee, or the year of the Lord's favor where all debts would be canceled. This is what he preaches. 2,000 years of promise and anticipation have come and gone. Jesus finishes this reading from Isaiah. He rolls up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and then preached the world's shortest sermon. One sentence. Today, I'm going to break another rule. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, right? One sentence, one sentence sermon. Like, This sermon's brilliant. Someday, like, I actually would love to be an effective enough preacher that I could preach a one-sentence sermon. I've actually had this goal for years. um, And 
don't get your hopes up, I'm not that good. That's the, the problem is I'm not good enough. Like if I were better, um, I would try this and someday I'm going to be able to do it. Um, and so in this sermon, it's so simple. He just states that in himself, Isaiah's prophetic message of coming salvation has been fulfilled. That's all he needs to say. And it's like, is this what everyone found so offensive? This is the shocking part. No, they're not offended yet, right? Look at what Luke says. He says, the entire group responds as one. All spoke well of Jesus and were amazed at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. This is amazing. Wonder, admiration, amazement. He claims to be God's earthly representative. And they're not offended by that at all. Not yet. But the door is cracked open. He breaks one of the rules, invites a Q&A session. First question that's asked, isn't this Joseph's son? It's like, this is where the trouble begins. They recognize something special in Jesus, but his pedigree gives them pause. His dad is just an ordinary dude, you know? And the key point is here that Luke is trying to say is that they've missed out on something really important that Jesus is far more than just Joseph's son. And so Jesus is in his hometown. Everybody knew him there. They also knew his ordinary working class parents. It's hard coming back to minister in a place where everybody knows you. I did this once. The church that Katie and I grew up in offered me a job. Uh, My initial response was, not a chance. And I turned it down. And the reason was, is because of this, I thought, how could you possibly be effective when everyone there remembered me when I was like this big? You know? Um, Could I be successful in that place? And it's like, I begrudgingly ended up, I I did return home. Um, And if I had a dollar for every time someone said, I remember you when you were this big, or my favorite, thank you for your message today, you've really gotten a lot better. (laughs) Those are like my favorite comments. Um, I just laugh about it. I just think that's funny. Um, I'd be a super wealthy guy. I'm not, um, but I would be. And so, you know, it ended up being a good decision for our family, but like the prophets that went before Jesus, returning home did not go so well for Jesus. And the problem is now set up, and the problem looks like this. We've got this divine favor or blessing. It's about to meet up with people's expectation, and they're, they're kind of this privileged status that they think that they have. This is where things go sideways, right? These are Jesus' hometown people. They see themselves as special. Like, they want everything that the other towns got from Jesus and more. They want Jesus to perform for them. They want him to heal a few people, perform a few miracles, pull a rabbit out of the hat, whatever. They expected privilege, and what they get is the beatdown, right? They do not get what they expect. And Jesus will not perform miracles in his hometown, because that's not what people, that's not what they needed. What they needed was to be corrected. They need their view of God to expand. They need their idea of God's mission, which was far too narrow to to expand their kind of embrace. They need their embrace to widen. And so God had to be freed from this small and restricted box that people were putting God in, the leash that they kind of had God tethered to and dragging God around, that leash needs to be snapped, taken off. And so Jesus doesn't seem to care the least about offending these people in order to get his point across that God's mission was not only for the people of Nazareth. 
It's not only for one ethnic group or religious group. It's not only for the men that were gathered in the synagogue. The question remains, who is Jesus for? Where does God's favor go? Right? And Jesus answers the question with two stories from the Hebrew scripture that are intended, here we get into the offensive stuff, they're intended to indict them. They're intended to offend them, not soothe and comfort them. They were intended to correct their thinking. Both stories take place during a low point in Israel's history where the rejection of God's prophets and message was at this all-time high. It also coincides with famine. And so these are really well-known stories. The people would have known the stories that Jesus was referencing, but clearly the meaning of these stories had been lost. The first is about a widow from Zarephath. People probably, when we read this, were like, I don't get why these two stories are here. Hopefully I can answer that. Uh, recorded in 1 Kings 17. So God commands the prophet Elijah to go to Zarephath to meet a widow there uh, who would welcome him and feed him in a time of extreme famine. So Elijah arrives at the city gates. He meets this very poor woman who's gathering sticks. And he asks her for a drink of water and some bread to eat. Dirt poor and starving to death, this woman says that her food is just about gone. And she tells him that she's gathering sticks and she's preparing for the death of herself and her son. Right? And Elijah, he's he's moved by this story. He tells her that the little oil and food that she has is not going to run out until after the next rain, that they would have more than enough food for her and her family. But despite this gift of food, the widow's son becomes deathly ill. And the scripture says that no breath was left in this little boy. Elijah lifts the boy up, asks God to give the gift of life for her son of this widow who had welcomed him with such warm hospitality. And God rescues this little boy from death. Are you offended yet? You don't look offended. (laughs) No? Should be. They were. Are you wondering what the problem is here? Right? I was when I read this. I'm like, what's the big deal? Like, this is great. The problem here is that Zareth at the Sidon sits outside of Israel. Right? God was not supposed to be in Sidon blessing the people of Zarephath and skipping over the people of Israel. These are the wrong people. They're enemy people. And Jesus is warning his listeners that God was reaching out to the nations beyond Israel. And the privileged insiders start squirming in their seats. They, they're, now they're really upset. And it's like, as if that's not bad enough, Jesus really rubs it in their faces with the second story. He's saying the same point. The prophet Elisha now in 2 Kings 5 hears of a great warrior named Naaman. Did you catch where Naaman was from? Naaman the... Syrian, okay? This is important. This guy is a great warrior in the army of King Aram who had leprosy. They say he's a great man, but another part of the text, it says that he actually took an Israelite slave in one of his raids. It says that to say, this is another enemy of Israel. Elisha calls for the man, has him washed in the Jordan River seven times, his leprosy is cured, and this guy, Naaman the Syrian, comes to faith in God because of it. Again, we see God widening the circle of inclusion and blessing to stretch far beyond the people of Israel. And it's like, this is where God's not doing anything new here. Jesus is reminding his listeners that God had already been up to this same thing for centuries. God's mission hasn't changed. It's been and would continue to be a global mission, not a tribal one. 
And so the hometown crowd realizes that Jesus isn't just for his homies, his people, right? He doesn't pull any punches. He's telling them that his mission will stretch far beyond the borders of his hometown. And that he will not serve the special interests of his hometown people. If they reject him, he's warning them that he's going to move on. And that God's blessings will move on then move outward and go to others. And so the crowd has this important decision to make. Jesus is offering salvation, but in the tension of this exchange, the crowd questions, what is Jesus really offering us, right? They question, who is this offer for? And so in their sense of wonder and amazement, just like that is gone. It turns to anger. The proclamation of the good news is outright rejected. In so doing, they're rejecting Jesus. They've heard enough of this so-called good news. In this fit of rage, they run him out to the edge of town in order to throw him off a cliff. Now they are sufficiently offended. This is not baby Jesus, meek and mild, sleeping in heavenly peace. We get that, right? Like, things are getting heated. Like, lives are on the line. And Luke desperately needs us to understand something that Jesus really wanted his audience to understand. This is not Joseph's son. This is the son of God. And so Jesus antagonizes them in order to provoke a response, to change their hearts, to expand their minds, to widen their circle of embrace. Maybe a good question to discuss over lunch, or at halftime in the Super Bowl if you're not watching the show. (laughs) What does Jesus reveal about who God is. What is Jesus revealing about who God is and who God is for, right? I think this word is supposed to push through our resistance, through our facades, through our fears of the other, through the ways in which we feel like we're entitled or privileged. It challenges us to consider how will we react when we see God's favor go beyond us to others. I think these poor folks in the synagogue, they're like, well, why is God just going to skip over us and why are these blessings going to go elsewhere? And they have an important decision to make. When when that happens to people, why did I get skipped over for whatever and this went to someone else? I deserve this. We have a choice in that moment. How we respond to that sliding is really important. And so it has contemporary and important implications for us. Who is the church for? Is it only for people who look and act, believe, or vote like we do? We have to to ask difficult questions. Starting a new church. I get this, I get questions about this stuff all the time. This is a real, these are really regular questions I get asked. And the question that surprises me the most, and I get it often, is like, who is Lightshine for? And I mean, I don't I find that question to be super odd, personally. And I say, well, we welcome all kinds of people. You know, we try to create a safe space for people to explore the Christian faith because that's what we see God doing in Scripture from the beginning to the end. Like, we desire and very intentionally want to have a wide embrace of people. And I'm always shocked by this question. And I get pushed on it. Like, you'd be surprised. I have people push me on this all the time. 
And this text and a hundred other ones could be used to talk about why we want to continue to have a wide embrace. It's like one of my modern day heroes. Any fans of Father Greg Boyle out there? Yeah, homeboy, Jesuit priest. Um, He says he's great stuff on this subject matter, but one of the things that stuck out to me, he says, our best selves tell us that they're but for the grace of God. And that in the end, there is no distance really between us and them. It's just us. Our best and noble hope is to imitate the God we believe in. The God who has abundant room in God's grief and in God's heart for us all. Like we need to hear more of that, especially today. It's like at Lightshine, we've said from the beginning that we want to imitate the God we believe in by making room for all kinds of people because this is what we see. And so Luke especially, as we walk through Luke's gospel, what we're going to note is something that I learned by starting to study Luke a lot in the last month or so. That God's going to constantly surprise us with this thing. This one thing that God always sees people that other people don't seem to be able to see. I, I could do this for 20 minutes. I'll just throw out a couple. God sees the widow of Zarephath. God saw Naaman the Syrian. God saw the lepers and paralytics that are coming up that we're going to get to, the poor and the lame. God sees the chief tax collector Zacchaeus, the little guy, who nobody else could. God saw the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried him with her hair. And it's like God looks around and God sees people everywhere, people who all need Jesus. And I wonder if the challenge for us might be something like, do we see the same people that God sees? I'm reminded with this that Jesus' message pushes us beyond the walls of this building. It pushes us beyond the borders of our hometown. It challenges us to share in Jesus' concern for the marginalized and the vulnerable and for those that are beyond the walls of all of our churches. The God's doing amazing things and surprising us in ways that we could never have imagined. And so Luke presents his readers of this gospel with a choice as well, just like Jesus' original hearers had the same choice. When God's favor goes beyond us to others, we can be filled with the Spirit or we can be filled with rage, right? My hope and prayer is that we'll respond to God's mission with gratitude and with grace. Let's pray. God, you're doing some amazing things in this world. Not only inside the walls of our churches, God, but clearly you're out way ahead of us in our community and well beyond. God, help us to, to, imitate, uh, to imitate you, to widen our embrace, to include those that, all those that you love uh, and care about. All those that don't know uh, your son, Jesus Christ, not just the son of Joseph, but the son of God. God, help us to be all that you have made us to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.